you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome, everyone. So good to see those of you who are here with us in person. want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, just whether it's your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years, uh, we just believe that you are here for a reason today and that God has something for you, whether to encourage or to challenge or just to work within each and every one of us. And so um, we're just grateful that you are here with us, whether, again, you're just showing up or whether you've been with us for decades. Um, I believe God has something here for you this morning. Now, we are concluding our series called A New Normal. But before we unpack what the uh, sermon topic is this morning, I wonder how many of us, you know, the the school year just started. For those of us who have kids in that age range, it's it's adjusting to getting uh, new schedules and and more extracurricular activities, which is why we've talked about busyness and stress over the past couple of weeks. We've also started to see the idea of, you know, it's it's making new friends. There's new kids in class. It's trying to encourage People or kids, we talked to our daughter Elise, we knew that there was a new girl coming to her class. Like, we want you to do what you can to help her feel welcome because going to a new place and not knowing anybody can be really intimidating. And I wonder if you've ever had that moment where you felt alone even though you were in a crowd. Maybe you're walking into a meeting and everybody else knows one another and you recognize that you're the new person. Maybe it's someone where you've been around these people before, but you've not made a connection yet. And so when everyone connects with one another, you're kind of either deciding, are you going to be a wallflower? Are you going to be a third wheel? Or are you just going to leave and come back later? I mean, we have this dynamic where I remember what it was like being in preschool, not much about it, but I remember I had a friend named Tim that we knew each other at preschool, we met, and then we just became like best friends. And I remember, uh, this is for some of you, like I can still remember back when you had to memorize people's friends' phone numbers in order to call them to find out if you could play. I can still remember his, na- his number right now from 35 years ago uh, because I used to call it all the time. I also can remember the local Little Caesars pizza delivery place. So I don't know if that's the same dynamic. Um, <clears throat> moving on. So they, we have these dynamics in which we recognize that When we were kids, sometimes you just show up to a class and the more extroverted of you would just be like, hi, you want to be best friends? And then you become friends. The more introverted of us say, I hope an extrovert comes and it says, hi, you want to be best friends? (laughs) We didn't know that verbiage, but we wanted someone to be friendly to us because when we are in a crowd of people or when we are in a new class, a new workplace, a new city, a new church, We can see the connections around us, and it's when we feel the gap between the connections around us and the connections we long for that we experience something that is very normal for all of us at some stage in our life or another. And that's the idea that we all experience this concept of loneliness. This concept of loneliness, our sermon will be called Loneliness is Normal, but before we even get there, I want to share some statistics with you, or at least maybe paint a picture for you. In 2017, the U.S. Surgeon General declared that America was experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. We've heard this before. At that time, in 2017, 40% of all Americans were lonely. 
But this epidemic is worsening. A Surgeon General advisory issued in May of 2023, so we're just three months ago, four months ago, noted that approximately half of all U.S. adults are experiencing loneliness, while the nationwide Cygnus study, which leveraged the UCLA Loneliness Survey, found that 58% of all Americans are lonely. So to think from the fact that 2017, six years ago, two-fifths of, of our country were feeling lonely. And then to think that within six years, that number has raised 50%, so now it's almost three-fifths. It goes from 40% to almost 60% of Americans are feeling lonely. And so maybe for some of us, we feel like we're lonely, but we're afraid to feel like we're lonely, when in reality, the, 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 the likelihood of people next to you feeling lonely is greater than it is that they're not. And so we look at this idea of loneliness. Dr. Vivek Murthy says it this way on the Harvard Business Review. He wrote this. He said, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. But we haven't focused nearly as much effort on strengthening connections between people as we have on curbing tobacco use or obesity. Now, I confess that part of me was like, I should buy a pack of cigarettes on the way in, and that way I can have an illustration. Or I'm like, I could just smoke 15 in between each sermon. It's that way I'm showing you how much that is. But obviously, that's, that's not what we're doing, right? But if I were to smoke 15, pa uh, 15 packs, excuse me, 15 cigarettes in a morning, in a day, you'd be like, that's unhealthy. There'd be no question about it. If someone was obese to the fact where, like, this is impacting lifespan, we would say, hey, that's unhealthy. There's no question about it. And yet there is something more prevalent in our lives than this idea of smoking a bunch of cigarettes or obesity. This idea of 58% within the past few months, 58% of Americans have expressed or displayed the dynamics of feeling lonely. So why don't we say, hey, there's something wrong with that? And I understand this can be seasonal. There are times where we feel closer to others um, than other seasons. And so I get that this 58% might be a snapshot, but the reality is, is that a snapshot still paints a picture. It still reveals a truth. It still points to the fact that we as Americans, even though we are more connected in many ways technologically, we are more distant and disconnected in many ways relationally. And so while we're looking at our sermon topic being the idea that loneliness is normal, we want to unpack and finish up this section in the story of Elijah to look at how do we define loneliness? Why do we feel lonely sometimes? How does God speak to us in our loneliness? And how can we move from loneliness to companionship. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into 1 Kings chapter 19. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. And Lord, I recognize that as kids, it can be so easy to just ask someone, hey, you want to be friends and we can become friends. And yet, as we grow up, as we become adults, it's, it's navigating the schedules and the busyness and commitments. It's navigating different relationships and friendships. And Lord, as much as we might want to just say, hey, can we be friends to those around us? We don't. And we feel lonely in the midst of it. 
Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that if anyone, not if, for everyone who is here today feeling lonely, that you would help them to draw closer to you and that you would help them to feel a connection to draw close to someone else, whether in this church or outside of the church, that they can have a companion for this world. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, we're going to unpack a couple of questions together, looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, Philip did a great job last week talking us through the idea of the still small voice, that God doesn't always work in the loud earthquake or the big fire or the wind, that he works in the still small voice, that he works when he speaks to us. And Elijah, while he was saying, I'm all by myself, there's no one, like, no one has been as fervent for you as I have, God. And he's, Elijah, then God says, come, Come to the mountain. Let me show you who I am. And then we see he's not in, God's not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the fire. He's in that still, small voice. And so he, Philip gave us the idea of looking at how do we deliberately seek God? How do we spend time in Scripture? How do we practically create a rhythm for silence, for Scripture, for solitude in order to do, be in tune with what God is saying? The first week, we talked about how busyness is normal, and we wanted to say a new rhythm is to combat that with the idea of Sabbath. And so today, if we look at loneliness, and we're talking about a new normal in our series and establishing or discovering new rhythms for life, if we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about Scripture, we're talking about silence, we're talking about solitude, what does it look like for us to see companionship and community as our new normal? So in order to approach that, we want to ask a couple of questions. First one is, what is loneliness? What is it? Because we can feel it, but we may not always be able to define it. So this is how he defines loneliness. The researchers say this. They define loneliness as, quote, perceived social isolation. The key word being perceived. If two people have the same number of friends with whom they spend the same amount of time and talk about the same things, one could feel perfectly content while the other could feel lonely. In other words, loneliness is subjective. It's the somber gap between the relationships you have and the relationships you want. And so as someone who's an introvert naturally, I know if I have, I might have four really close friends I feel like I can share about with things, talk about with things, and be able to be like, okay, like we're able, we could connect and talk about that. Whereas some that maybe love having more friends, if they had four friends that they could talk about and they could share, they could connect, they might look at and think, wow, I'm missing out on so many. Um, my nephew, uh, Daniel, he's very much an extrovert. And so when we went to uh, Pismo Beach a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, about a month and a half ago now with um, family, we all went there and he's just such an extrovert. He just shows up and he looks at all the beach. He's like, mom, mom, there are so many people to say hi to. Like he was just like four years old. And he's like, he looks at the world as everyone's my friend I haven't met yet. And, you know, as an introvert, I look at the world and be like, you know, I want friends, but I'm a little cautious. I'm a little, I'm less going to go walk up to everybody on the beach and say hi. So this idea of you could be introvert, extrovert. You could be in a season where you have energy for people. You could be in a season where you don't. But it's the perceived social isolation that says you could be content with four, but if you're in a season where you feel like you long for more, four won't feel like it's enough. 
And so this can change throughout our seasons and can change throughout our life. But it's important to acknowledge that loneliness isn't the same as being alone. That, again, as an introvert, I appreciate time to be able to, um, when Steph and the girls go to bed, like I'll just have time to kind of unwind um, and relax. And there are times when Elise, um, who's our youngest daughter, and she's the extrovert of our family, um, she's like, Daddy, I don't want you to feel like you have to be alone. I want to spend time with you. And I'm like, well, honey, like, I love spending time with you, but I'm also okay with being alone. Like, it's okay to want to have time to recharge. But again, it's just this dynamic. So being alone is different than feeling lonely because when we're alone, we might just be by ourselves. When we're lonely, it's often when we're with others and we feel like there's a crowd of people who can connect and then we're here deciding whether we're going to be a wallflower or a third wheel or we're just going to leave. It's this perceived, not real, perceived social isolation. Next question is, why do we feel lonely? Like, what are some circumstances that get us to this point? And we hit on one of them um, last week a little bit. We actually hit on it the past two weeks looking at um, 1 Kings 19 verse 3. But the first thing that Elijah does that causes him to feel lonely when he's meeting with God on the mountain. The first thing that he does, we actually see in the previous verse, in verse 3, but he does this. Sometimes we are alone. We may feel lonely because we've pushed others away. That we've pushed other people away. That when, maybe it's something where I remember when we moved down here, there were friends that I'd done ministry with for over 12 years, or just about 12 years on staff um, at my previous church. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming down to a, we're coming to a new city, to a new church, uh, to new responsibilities, new roles. Everything was changing. And I remember reaching out to different friends throughout that time there, people that I had seen every day and done life with um, so consistently. And then I just, they would just completely disregard my text and never respond. As like it's the idea of being ghosted, where you try to reach out and then someone just disappears on you. And so I remember feeling like, like I'm like I'm trying, but you know it's that. But there's other times when maybe people reach out and then we we ghost others. We don't respond, or we say, hey, I don't have time for a small group right now. I don't have time for a friendship. I don't have time for a consistent meeting. And so even when we're hurting, we push others away. When often. When we push others away is the time we need others the most. So Elijah, what is, how does he do this? Looking at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. So he left his servant behind. He was, his servant was someone who had done life with him, who had walked with him. Remember, Bathsheba was 100 miles south of Mount Carmel where the events of 1 Kings 18 take place. So this servant had been with Elijah before. He even walked with him for these 100 miles in order to get out of Mount Carmel, get out of the reach of Queen Jezebel who wanted Elijah slain and murdered. And he was someone that he walked with and had done life with. And yet what happened was, is he got so discouraged that Elijah was so stressed, so busy, so overwhelmed, experiencing a lot of the dynamics that we are, would consider normal, unfortunately, for our day and age. What he does is he doesn't lean in. He doesn't say, friend, I need you now more than ever. I need a companion for this journey. I, no, he says, he leaves him behind. He dismisses his servant and sends him on his way. 
And then Elijah walks the 200 miles down to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, by himself. How often do you or I push other people away the moment we need them the most? We're crying out, and there's that person who looks at you and says, hey, are you okay? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm busy, I'm all right. And they're like, no, no, no. Are you okay? What do we do in that moment? Do we lean in and share? Do we look away? Do we say, oh, no, I'm, yeah, no, I'm really, I'm fine. I appreciate you asking, but how are you doing? And change the topic onto them. Sometimes we push others away, and that causes us to feel lonely, not because other people don't want to be a part of our journey, but because of whatever reason, we've removed them from journeying with us. It's one way in which we may feel lonely. Second way we may feel lonely is the idea that we may feel lonely when we think nobody cares what we think about, or what we care about, excuse me. Nobody cares. Nobody's as passionate for what we are passionate for. And so we see this here. We're going to jump down now uh, several verses down to verse 13, the second part of 13. So then a voice said to him, this is God saying to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What is he saying here? He's saying, Lord, I've been more zealous for you than everybody else. Nobody else loves you as much as me. Nobody else is as passionate about you as me. No one cares as much about following you, God, as me. And so when I look around and no one else cares about what I care about, I can feel lonely. Because I think, how come someone isn't as excited about this as I am? How come someone doesn't recognize the need for whatever it is as much as I do? And so... These words that Elijah shares here are word for word the same thing that he, res- asks, he responds to God before the earthquake, the wind, and the fire. And so he doesn't, God will say, what are you doing here? Elijah responds with this. And then God says, go out onto the mountain. The earthquake comes, the wind comes, the fire comes, the still small voice comes. As the King James Version says, the, the still small voice is being the sound of sheer silence speaks to him, speaks to Elijah. And so then again, it says, what are you doing here? And again, we don't know context, right? Or excuse me, we don't know um, the subtext of tone, right? Because God keeps like, what are you doing here? I told you to go up there, right? Or he could just be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here when I have a plan for you there? What are you doing here when... I still have work for you to do. I mean, we don't know, but the tender voice, the still small voice of God is moving in Elijah. And so Elijah, he still responds with the exact same thing. And he reiterates, God, no one cares about as much, cares about you as much as I do. And so we might think whatever cause or purpose or thing that you love, that you feel like has been stirred in you, when others aren't in that same place of caring as much about it as you do, Don't we feel lonely? Don't we feel like, man, nobody else gets it? And when we do that, what do we often do? We create an us versus them mindset where we say, I'm the one who's got it all figured out. Like, I got it, and they don't understand. When we make an us versus them dynamic, does that build bridges or does that build walls between us and others? It creates a wall. 
when it says, you don't care about what I care about. Now, this can go for myriad different things and passion projects that we have. So I'm not going to go through and list all these different types of things. But when someone, when you feel like no one cares about what I care about, we start to get discouraged. We start to get lonely. We build up a wall and we keep people outside. Because we say, I'm the only one. No one cares as much as me. On the flip side, we can also feel lonely when we believe that nobody understands what we're going through. When we think that no one understands what we are going through. So, you know, as someone who has the honor of being a senior pastor, there are times when I'll be able to share with people here at the church what's going on. But, but in a lot of ways, in the same way that there are people here that serve in the military, I have no idea what that is like. I could try to empathize. I could ask questions. I have no idea. There are some of people who have to work two or three full-time jobs in order to make ends meet. I don't know what's that, what that is like. There are some of you who are navigating being parents, being moms and dads to young kids. I do know what that's like. But there are some of you who are like, no, we're, we're, our kids are leaving the house now. I don't know what that's like. What does it look like to be able to surround yourself with people who have been through or are currently going through the same things as you? That I have a group of senior pastors that we meet with every uh, first Thursday of the month. And it's just saying, you know, I, I recognize being a senior pastor, it's a difficult job, but I know there are more difficult jobs out there. I'm not, you know, going to be like falling on the sword of ours is the hardest one ever. I know some of you have incredibly difficult jobs and commitments. And as much as it would benefit you to be able to connect with others who experience that same thing, it's beneficial for me that we sit around a table sometimes and be like, man, what's a cheer that you have? What's a challenge that you're experiencing? How's your calling? How are you feeling? How's your walk with the Lord? Because when we feel like, feel like nobody understands us, then it makes us even more... Um, more likely to resolve to go within ourselves, to be secluded from ourselves, or within ourselves, rather than re uh, reaching out, even though the person right next to us might be experiencing something very similar. We see Elijah. We're going to reread this same section with highlighting a different part. So what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I am the only one left. God, nobody understands what this is like because I'm more powerful or my love for you is more powerful and, and I'm more zealous for you than everybody else and everybody else in the nation wants me dead. Is that true? Let's take a moment. Is that true? Let's rewind 1 Kings 18. The people were praising God because of Elijah. Well, because God showed up and used Elijah, I should say. Queen Jezebel wanted him dead. But he takes... One person wanting him dead to the whole nation has betrayed you. Even though the whole nation had just recently proclaimed that the, Yahweh is Lord. But the, when we're alone, when we're lonely, we have this moment where we feel like we're the only ones who get it. And when we feel like we're the only ones, no one gets what we're going through. No one can understand, so why would I try to invite someone else to understand? Some of you that are going through really difficult health issues with cancer and with other bad diseases. Some of you who are going through family members with end-of-life discussions. Some of you who are going through the grief of the loss of a loved one. Some of you who are going through the grief of the brokenness of a relationship. 
we think no one knows, no one can understand exactly what I'm feeling. When in reality, God may be surrounding you with people that if we were to lower our walls and start building our bridges, there might be people who can understand exactly what you're going through. Whether it's within the church, whether it's neighbors, coworkers, or friends outside the church. But when we think we're the only ones, nobody understands us, it builds up our walls and it solidifies our loneliness, the perceived social isolation from the relationships that we have to the relationships we want. So that's a brief, very brief summary of, you know, how we might feel lonely. Are those the only three ways? No, but we see Elijah's journey that he went from up on the mountaintop in 1 Kings 18 to one chapter later, wanting to give up, pushing away a friend of his as someone who is in community with, feeling like no one cares what he cares about and that no one understands what he's going through. And those three steps on top of each other layer themselves for him to build his walls and to say, God, I'm the only one. No one gets it. So What's one of the best things that Elijah does in the midst of his loneliness? He goes to God with it. You know, when we feel alone, when we feel lonely, it's, it's the idea that we may feel like no one understands. But we have a God, we have Jesus who experienced all the things we've experienced outside of sin. He experienced temptation. He experienced the loneliness of the garden. When he brings his closest friends, he says, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? I'm going to go a stone's throw further into the garden. And every time he goes back that night, his friends are asleep. He says, couldn't you stay up for one hour to pray? Couldn't you be here a little bit longer? And then he goes to God with his loneliness. And he prays that there be unity among the people in John 17, and he prays that God would take this cup, but not Jesus' will, but God's will be done. And so we can take a model after Jesus to say, when I'm lonely, not if, but when it happens, I go to God with him. God, I feel like no one else understands. I feel like nobody else cares as much about this as, you, as I do. And God, I recognize I've pushed other people away. Will you help me in this? So how does, God, how does God meet us in our loneliness? How did he meet Elijah in his loneliness? He doesn't just say, hey, just go put yourself out there. You know, just, just be friends and, you know, just walk up to someone and say, hey, you, me. Like, you want to be best friends or what? Like, you know, it's like he, he meets him in this and he, yes, encourages him to have relationships. And we'll see that, friendships. But the first thing he does doesn't approach how he feels. The first thing he does is he approaches the purpose for which he's been made. He says this, he says, or he gives him something to do. He says, Elijah, I've given you, you're a prophet. You think you're done. You want to give up. You're underneath the broom tree. The angel had to feed you your daily bread to give you enough energy to walk down here and down Mount Sinai. And so you want to give up, but I'm not done with you yet. We see this here as we continue on 1 Kings 19 says this, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. 
So in other words, he's saying, I'm going to give you a task to do so that we don't wallow in our difficulty, our loneliness, because the loneliness feels real, but there's a perceived social isolation in which we can still reach out. We can still have this. But he says, I'm going to give you a work to do. Because if you've ever had a season where you felt purposeless or, or you felt like the compass of your life has been thrown out of whack, you feel like you're going on a journey, you felt like you knew where God was taking you, and then something happened in your life where you got all off kilter and you're, the, the, the GPS of your life is just constantly saying recalculating. And you, you think, there's a, where's the next road? Where's the next step? God says, I'm going to give you something to do. So he gives them a purpose. He says, you're going to anoint these three people and that they're going to help fulfill my ultimate purpose. But my purpose for you is to say, hey, I need you to get up out of what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, and say, I have something for you to do. Friends, God has something for you to do. Not the person next to you, not your sibling, not your parents, not your kids or your grandkids, not your coworkers, not your neighbors. God has something for you to do that if left undone would be by you would be undone in this world. So for some of us, it's seeing, God, who is it that you want me to connect with? Who is it that you want me to be able to build a relationship with, a friendship with? God, who is it that needs you right now? What tasks do you have? Give us a purpose, Lord. Because right now, Elijah, and maybe for some of us, we don't feel it. But he doesn't just give him a work to do, because then that would just be God saying, okay, here's another checklist for you. But God also gives us someone to journey with. He gives us someone to go on this journey with. He, he points us to the fact that we are not truly alone. So, we see here verse 18. It's not on the screen. But verse 18 says, Yet I reserve, this is God speaking to Elisha. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He's saying, Elijah, you think no one cares as much as you do. You think that no one understands what you're going through. You think you are the only one in this world that is feeling this burden and feeling this loneliness. But I've reserved 7,000 people, 7,000 other people who love me just as much as you do, Elijah, who have refused to bow down or worship Baal just as you have, Elijah. And so sometimes it's just helpful for us to remember that there's a remnant. There's a group of people that have been set apart still. There are a group of people who God still says, listen, you're not, you feel alone and lonely, but you're not truly alone. There's a perceived social isolation, or in this case, maybe it's a perceived spiritual isolation to think, oh, no one else understands me, Lord. And then God says, I've reserved people for you who understand. We had a, a pastor's group that, um, Pastors all over San Diego County went to uh, The Rock, um, 2021, I believe it was. And I remember just people sharing about what it was like, again, just kind of in this role um, in the midst of 2020 and 2021, if you remember, times were slightly complicated back then. And just sharing with that and being like, well, this is what it's like. And I remember one person just kind of mentioned, you know, 
When we're on our own, when we're in our own churches and we're in our own communities, it can feel like we're the only ones dealing with this. But coming to a place like this with other pastors where we're worshiping God together, that we're able to hear one another's struggles and we commiserate and say, yes, me too. I know what that's like. He mentioned it's like the remnant that God had reserved for Elijah or reserved in the nation that he spoke to Elijah about. It's saying that we feel like we're alone and lonely, but there's people with whom we can journey that, are just, that care just as much as we do and understand what we're going through. But then we continue on because we see the last thing that he tells Elisha to do is he tells him to anoint Elisha. And so here's a story. Verse 21 will be on the screen, so just listen with me. Verses 19 through 20 as you follow along. So Elisha went from there and found Elisha, son, Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha, or excuse me, Elijah, and become his servant. Remember, it was just, what, 18 verses prior that Elisha had removed his servant and dismissed him. And God says, hey, I'm gonna anoint, you need to go anoint Elisha to be your servant again, to, to take up the mantle of being a prophet. And friends, there's varying degrees of um, ideas of how long Elisha and Elijah were um, in ministry together. But unequivocally, we know it was for multiple years that he had someone to do life with that he had someone who cared as much about him, or excuse me, cared as much about God as him, that understood what that was like, and that would have an impact. And that Elisha, the one that he anointed, he does more miracles in the Bible than everybody else other than Jesus. So the ministry that Elisha had was empowered by God's spirit and had an impact in the nation. And imagine what would have been, how God's people would have lost out on if Elijah failed to anoint Elisha, and Elisha didn't get to have the impact he had on so many. We see this here that the next quotations go for many years. Elisha and Elijah were companions and they were inseparable. Unlike the rest of the nation, they were like-minded and loved the same God. They weren't distracted by Baal or by other prophets. They were like-minded. They loved the same God. They not only shared their faith as both were men of prayer, but they also shared a calling as both were prophets. They had a sense of belonging to one another. God's cure included giving Elijah a life companion. His, his cure for loneliness included having someone he could mentor, someone who could be a friend, someone who could come alongside him and say, you are not alone. This work I've called you to you can share that burden. We see this in Exodus chapter 18. We won't go there, but it's a story of when Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, visits Moses, and he sees what Moses does. Moses would set himself up as the judge to determine um, what the Lord's law said about various court cases, for lack of a better term. We say, is it right according to law to do what this person says or this person says? And Moses would sit, and he would hear cases all day long and say, according to the Torah, according to the law, yours is right, yours is wrong, or whatever. 
And then Jethro looks at this and he says, Moses, what you are doing is not good. It is stressing out or frustrating or burning out you and the people. The people aren't happy either. So here's what you ought to do, Moses. Find men who have the spirit of wisdom from the Lord and set them up over various different cases. So the easiest cases, you have a group of people who can handle those. And then the harder cases come and you have another group of people who can judge. And then the harder and harder. And then that way you only are seeing the most difficult court cases. It would be akin to not having the Supreme Court look at every case within every courthouse within our entire nation. It's saying you have courts that can determine all the way up, but then there are a few cases that come to Moses. Moses did this and everybody was happy. Moses recognized that he could share the load and the people recognized that they were being better served. So when we feel like we are alone or lonely, we think I'm the only one who can do this. And there are times where God puts people in our lives to say, let someone else share your burden. And in fact, why don't you become someone who can help share theirs as well? Galatians 6, 2 talks about how we ought to carry one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Recognizing that the weight that can destroy me with one other person, we'd be able to carry it together. And it's not like if I can carry 50 pounds and someone else can carry 50 pounds. One, it's not one plus one is two. It's shared we are able to lift heavier than 100 pounds. It's the idea that allows someone else to come alongside you. Share and open up to others. And then allow yourself to be able to come alongside them as well. So Elijah came to the mountain, alone, discouraged, stressed, busy, overwhelmed. And as he left, God gave him a purpose, a work to do. And he gave him friendship. He gave him someone with whom to journey with. Some of you, you're still struggling with purpose right now in this season. What does it look like to do what God has called me to do in this season of life? Sometimes we can't hear that until we Spend the time in silence, solitude, and with scripture that Philip mentioned last week to be able to have the rhythm of hearing God's still small voice. But some of us know the purpose and we need to be aware of who God has brought in our lives to help share that burden. So how can we become, or how can we move, excuse me, how can we move from loneliness to companionship? I love the idea of companionship because it's someone with whom you can walk. Someone with whom you can journey. Someone that when they are struggling, you can lift up them. And when you're struggling, they do the same for you. Community is great. And we, we want to highlight community here within different small groups and ministries. But we need a larger community. And then we also need companions. There were 7,000 that were a remnant. That's a community. But Elijah also had a companion in Elisha. Someone who, with whom he can do life. So let's give really quick, very basic, very um, practical, tangible things that we can do in the last few minutes we have remaining. How can we move from loneliness to companionship? Number one is look around. In other words, be intentional. Be intentional about the people with whom you want to do life with. Look around, and there might be people that you feel like, oh, I, I have a lot in common with this person, but yet this other person is someone that I know they love the Lord. And we may like different teams, different music, different types of movies, but what we have in common, the Lord, is greater than what we have that is different. 
And so we look and we say, look around. Who has God? God says, listen, I've created people for you, Elijah. There's people that are on this journey with you. Look around and see what it is or who it is that he might be, do, be calling you to connect with and to be intentional about it. We know that any relationship, any friendship requires intentionality. We don't haphazardly make our way into lifelong friends. We don't haphazardly make our way into small groups at church or to people who can pray for us. We need to be intentional about it. And so when, um, when we first had um, Shaylin, I was looking around at my previous church that I was on staff with, again, for, for many years, and there were times when I would look around and there were a lot of us kind of young dads. And so I'm like, I know that I want to be the kind of dad in ministry, that the hope and prayer is that our kids, at the time it was just Shaylin, so our kid, but any children we may have would not hate the church because of how, you know, how busy dad was, or how do we still love our families as our first ministry? And so I got together and I asked other young dads, and we would have a group that would meet um, every, it was like, well, it switched almost every day at some point, but every, uh, once a week at a corner bakery up near the church office. We would read books together intentionally about parenting. We would talk through what is it like, how are you doing with loving your wife right now? One of the greatest things dads can do for their kids is to love his wife, love their mother well. So how are we doing with that? How are you doing with following the Lord? How are you doing with patience and what it looks like with little kids who are crying and screaming and you just want to sleep? I mean, how are you doing with very practical things? We had to be intentional. The next thing we did is we lean in. Be consistent. If you have, if you're, if you're in a, a friendship and you just try to meet, you know, once or twice a year, that's hard to build a lasting friendship. If you are dating someone, you can't just get to know them once or twice a year. You have to be intentional, but then you have to be consistent. It's recognizing, hey, if I want to be a part of a, a small group or a ministry within the church, then I want part of it is because I want to get community and have companions for the journey. I can't just show up haphazardly. I don't unintentionally make my way into deep friendship. It's being consistent. It's showing up. With this senior pastor group that I'm a part of that we meet the first Thursday of every month, there have been numerous times over my first five years, I'm like, I just don't want to go today. Not because it's not valuable, not because it's not good, not because I don't like them. I'm just like, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm busy, I'm exhausted. Does this sound familiar with our series? And I remember that, you know, my first Thursday um, on, like, here in town that they had it, Pastor Evan came with me and he kind of, like, let... This was a group that he had helped start and be a part of for 20 years. And then when he had his last time and I had my first time, for the most part, I haven't made it to all of them, but the vast majority of times, the first Thursday of the month, I'm part of this group because I want to be intentional. But I need to be consistent. And the days that I did not want to go, the days that I walked into that room, and I'm like, when everyone asks how everyone's doing, I'm going to choose to either be a wallflower or to be a third wheel and not share. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything. Because I'm not up for it. I don't feel like it. I'm not, I'm not ready. I just, there's too much going on. Inevitably, those are the times the Lord ministered to me the most. Because then someone would say, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I don't want to be here today. <laughs> and I don't want to talk about this. And people don't say, hey, figure it out 
and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I've been where you've been. Let's walk through this together. It's being consistent and going even when you don't want to go or even when you have good reason not to because we don't just haphazardly get ourselves into companionship. The number three, the last one, or no, let's read a quotation from this, sorry, from Jim Putman. He says this, like people today, the early Christians were busy. It's not like we think, oh, well, we are the busiest ever. We've got a lot, but they were busy too. They had character flaws, bad attitudes, and bad breath. They came from different backgrounds and had different preferences. They had kids, work, and chores, yet their hearts were for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Can we say the same thing? At times, they were annoyed with each other. Can we say that? No, never mind. Don't answer that one. Um, But they still were committed to meeting together. They felt that being together was better than being alone in the faith. Commit to being together. And yes, that can mean a Sunday morning church service. That can also mean a small group or another ministry. That can also be connecting, say, hey, can, can we set up a time to have coffee with one another on a consistent basis? Can we build a relationship that, you know, we are just going to block out this time intentionally, and I'm going to be consistent if you'll be consistent too. Lastly, we can be intentional, we can be consistent, and then we can listen up and be open. Could you imagine if Elijah, the Lord is speaking to him and Elijah wouldn't listen? No, Lord, I'm not going to talk to Elisha. I've heard of that son of Shaphat. Like, you know, or, or I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Recently, we were at um, a friend's house, and uh, it was for 4th of July, and um, it was a friend that Steph has gotten really close to over the past several months, and her dad um, has been in real estate, but then also um, had been a head, of an el- head of an elder board at a, diff- a church nearby and also does spiritual directing, like meeting with people to help them walk along on their journey. And so just like as we're talking, I'm like, man, I, I, I would like to get to know this guy a little bit better. He's older and he's just has some wisdom and experience. And so about a month ago, oh, no, about a couple of weeks ago, I was like, hey, can we, can we meet up and just grab lunch and start talking? And so we're going to try to set up a time to be intentional about who I'm connecting with, be consistent, and then to be open that you may not expect a friendship to develop or, or a mentoring relationship to develop, but would you be open to what God and who God might be putting in front of you? Or do we just automatically say, nope, I'm too busy. I've got too much on my plate. I'm too stressed. There's too much. Or say, God... As I'm listening, you seem to be bringing this person up a lot. Is it possible you want me to be open to building a friendship with them, a companionship with that person, with whom to walk in this life, with whom to journey? And I love this quotation as we close this morning. It's from C.S. Lewis. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. When we're going and we're, when I talk to people who love like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or those very rare people that like the Venn diagram and like right here in the middle, I'm like, I can send you pictures and memes about both of them and you get me? What? You two? I thought I was the only one. When it's, we're at the game last, we went to the uh, Giants-Padres game, which I would like to forget about, so don't bring it up from last night. But, you know, it's, it's, we're sitting by other Giants fans and, and it's like, wait, you're a Giants fan here in San Diego? You too? I thought I was the only one. It's recognizing that when there are people who are gone, have gone through the same griefs and hardships and they've wanted to give up just like you might want to give up now, 
and you're willing to be open to share, and they say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Elijah thought he was the only one that still cared. And God revealed to him there were many others. And I thought I was the only one is what helps bridge our gap from loneliness and the relationships, the friendships we want to have to the friendships that God allows us to have, the companionship with whom we can do this life and a journey with. So we realize that we're not as lonely as we thought we were because God may be calling us to be intentional, to be consistent, and to be open to who he has for us. So what will you do this week to be intentional, to be consistent, or to be open for the friendships God may have for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I know that... um, In a room this size, the statistics would tell us about three-fifths of us are struggling with loneliness. And that's not counting those who are watching or listening online. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your still, small voice this morning. Help us remember that if we've pushed others away, like Elijah did with his servant early on, may may you encourage us whether we need to bring them back into the fold and share what's going on. If we're at a place where we feel lonely and we don't know where to turn, may we be intentional and consistent and open to what you're saying. And ultimately, Lord, maybe we look around and there really doesn't feel like there's anyone else at this time. May we know that we could run to you in our loneliness, with our loneliness. And Jesus, you paved the way for us to do that. But we can come to you with our loneliness and may we remember that we could be strong and courageous and not to be terrified or discouraged for you, our Lord, our God, are with us wherever we go. That you never leave us nor forsake us. That Holy Spirit, you reside within those of us who call Jesus Lord. And so we are never truly lonely. So may we run to you knowing that you are with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.